Welcome to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. We are a Bible-believing church located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We are proudly part of the Christian Fellowship Ministries with 3,000 churches around the world. We are a church focused on world evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Here we will share recent sermons from PHSA Church and other sermons from throughout our fellowship. I am Pastor David Bickford, and I will be your host for this podcast. I thank you for listening today, and we hope these messages are a blessing to you and bring you closer to God. Hello, and welcome back to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. I am the pastor here in Salmon Arm. My name is David Bickford. Today, I have something new, and it is Mitchell Mondays. This is going to be a collection of sermons from our founding pastor, the late Wayman Mitchell, and our current head pastor, his son, Greg Mitchell, based out of Prescott, Arizona. These are powerful messages from our fellowship leaders, and I hope that these messages add to your week. God bless. Praise God. That is very exciting. I was having flashbacks there, and I remember... 27 years ago in, in February, we just gone, that uh, Lisa and I uh, stood in a farewell service like this and uh, went out into the adventure of a lifetime. So I am very excited what God is doing. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 26. The book of Acts, chapter 26, 1930. England's King George V, he was going to give a speech. That was uh, supposed to be broadcast by radio all around the world. Just before he was due to speak, someone tripped over one of the, the uh, uh, electrical wires. And actually, it, it snapped in two. And this would have the result that the, that wire was the one that was going to be transmitting to the entire American audience. A man named Harold Vidian, chief control operator... He grabbed the two ends of the wires and he held on to the bare wire and completed the circuit. Electricity was shocking him, but by holding on, it meant that the, that, uh, the king's speech could be transmitted and he held on until he was finished. And so think about that. He became the connection that enabled the message of the king to go out. In the scripture that we are going to read, Paul is now an old man. He's been in the ministry for many, many years. He's, he's uh, uh, been arrested, and uh, his life now is going to be winding down in, in ministry in many ways. And he is telling King Agrippa here, after all the things that have happened, he goes back to the beginning, and he tells him about a heavenly vision that he had and Paul is describing how he became the connection for the message of the king. This is true for disciples. This is true for uh, uh, churches. And very, very important. What we're doing tonight in uh, sending out these workers, this is, uh, these two couples, this will be the fourth couple this year from our congregation that we're sending out. Because there is a vision that has been imparted and I believe it would do us well as we're doing this it does us well like Paul obviously he would refresh in his memory why am I doing this and that would do us well tonight on a on a, uh, a launching night of these two couples 
that we would be reminded again of the heavenly vision. I want to preach about the heavenly vision connection. Acts 26, we'll just read two verses. You can read all of the vision that he describes in your own time in chapter 26. But chapter 26, verse 19 of the book of Acts, it says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all of the region of Judea, then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works fitting of repentance. The heavenly vision connection. I want to begin, I want to talk about observing uh, the vision. The scripture that we read, uh, just a, a portion of, gives us a Bible pattern. And Paul speaks about the power of vision. Think about this. It has three parts in Paul's mind. Number one, God has plans for our life. Verse 16, he says that God told him, I've appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness. That word make, make you a minister. The word make means to grab in advance. And here is the idea that Paul said, God interrupted my life. Ian said it was not his plan to preach the gospel. That was Paul. It wasn't even his plan to be a follower of God. But God interrupted to grab in advance that God has the right to make choices for our lives. That is absolutely foundational in serving God and doing anything for God. He has the right to choose things for us. This has to do with purpose, place, and timing. Pastor Mitchell has preached many times, the will of God is certain people in certain places doing certain things at certain times. So he says, I had a vision and God showed me he has plans for our lives. Number two, he says, the second part of this is that God saves us for a purpose. And when he saves us, it is his intention that we make impact on other people. And this is what God revealed to Paul. Verse, eight, uh, verse 16 says, to make you a minister and a witness, to serve people and declare God to other people. Verse 18 says, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to Light, And so here it is, this is the second part of, of the vision as Paul sees it, is that God not only chooses or has the right to make choices, but in our lives, He saves us for a purpose. He intends for you to make impact on somebody else in life. And the third part of this in the vision, he says, is that the vision is meant to expand. Wherever we are right now in the gospel, we are meant to expand God's influence. In this verse, in verse 20, he says, So therefore, when he obeyed this, I preached first in Damascus, then Jerusalem, throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles. This is the will of God, is that God's purpose not just be localized in one place, but that it expand. Jesus said in Mark one thirty eight that we should go to other towns so that I can preach there too. That is the reason that I came. 
This is what an ordination service or a launching of couples in a service like this is all about, is that we believe that God has made a choice in our lives and made a choice in their their lives that God saved them to touch somebody else. He wants us to touch somebody else. And we are going to obey the heavenly vision by expanding into other places beyond Prescott, Arizona. And so Paul talks about this heavenly vision that God gave him. But if you read in the book of Acts, there is a a pattern that's formed about vision. God gives individual visions. I preached uh, four weeks or so ago about that, that God may speak to you individually. But something is shown in the Bible that individual visions have corporate impact. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 9, Paul gets a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And verse 10, Luke, who's writing, says, and we concluded that God called us to preach there. That is the Bible pattern. God often will give a vision to someone But from that vision, other people join in the vision given to them, and it makes impact on other people's lives. Our fellowship was founded by our pastor, Wayman Mitchell. And there were things that God uh, uh, did in and through him that he intends for us to be a part of. And we're going to go back to the beginning tonight. I want you to think about this. Pastor Mitchell, my father was saved in 1954. And sometime later, he was powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit. I spoke about that in, in conference. But one of the things that happens, listen, if you genuinely have the Holy Spirit at work, it is more than just a tingle or a vibe or an emotion. A desire is birthed to do something for God. That is how you know that the Holy Ghost is at work because there's a desire to be useful for God's purposes. Pastor Mitchell, when he got saved, he had a desire to pray. There were no morning prayer meetings. He would, in in Phoenix, Arizona, would get in a shed in the backyard in the heat and would pray before going to work. And he was praying for God to use his life. There was a desire to witness Got involved in, in uh, street preaching in Glendale Park uh, in Phoenix and, and uh, in a Skid Row mission in downtown Phoenix and, and uh, uh, witnessing to people there. There came a desire to preach. He said one morning that he was praying before work. He was alone in the house. And he said an overwhelming feeling came over him that I, I feel what I should do is to preach the gospel. And finally, there was a desire to be a missionary. They would have visiting missionaries come and speak in the church, and he would be moved by the stories that they told. He began to read books and saw some films by T.L. Osborne and, and began to have a desire that maybe someday I could be a missionary. When he went to his pastors in those days, the only options, if you wanted to be a pastor, was to go to Bible college. And so they recommended, he ultimately did this, went to life Bible College in Los Angeles. But that was overall a disillusioning experience because he's going to school with people who weren't called to the ministry. Their parents were trying to keep them out of trouble. 
Many of them weren't saved. Then he had professors who didn't believe the Bible. Or if they had a curriculum they were teaching, they didn't teach it. Uh, uh, they didn't believe it or it was impractical. And Bible school separated you from, from people in real ministry. Ultimately, he became a pastor in the Foursquare organization. And that became disillusioning because he had been, it had been rammed into him. And Bible college, that children's ministry, Sunday school, that's how you reach the world. And he began to discover he could get kids to come. And you'd offer games and candy bars. But that didn't mean that the parents would get saved. He saw politics in an organization instead of life change. And he ultimately quit the ministry. For a time, just worked a job, then went back in the ministry, and ultimately came in disillusionment again. He quit for the second time, called up, and uh, uh, quit uh, the church that he was pastoring in Carson, California, was going to leave the ministry altogether. This, this brings us to opening division. I, I preached some time back, and I spoke about the five uh, parts of our vision. I'm not going to give all of that. But I want you to think about this, opening division. Listen to me. God is in charge of life. This is what this scripture says. When he talks about going back to the beginning, he learns something. God is in charge. God interrupted. God is able to direct people who keep their hearts right. God spoke to Saul and told him where to go and and who is going to speak to him. A man named Ananias is going to speak to you. Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. When Pastor Mitchell called his supervisor and announced that he had quit, they said, no, don't quit. Think of, No, I did quit. I'm done. I already did. It's over. And they said, all right, well, maybe before you quit altogether, you want to go look. There's a church that's come open in Prescott, Arizona. This was no prize. It was because of a moral failure. And uh, this uh, became opened, and, and uh, you know I've, I've told the story on numbers of occasions. Uh, he and my mom discussed, they said, uh, there are two younger families in particular that are in the church, and if they will stay, this is Bob and Sharon Allen and Dale and Barb Copeland, we're going to talk to them. If they will stay in the church, then we'll take it. They came and spoke to them, and they agreed that they would stick with the church if my parents came, and so... The very first service in January of 1970, they had 29 people and seven of those were our family. And so this is where it begins. I want you to think about this. God began to reveal his vision in stages. This was not a master plan that he arrived in Prescott with a blueprint. But God revealed, I want you to think about three of those that are very important for us as we're launching couples out. Number one, the first part is that evangelism is our purpose. This is what we were birthed in. A church that was 29 people, but God began to save people. And two young couples came in and got saved. And one of them was a member of a rock band called Eden. And they began to tell Pastor Mitchell, uh, uh, you know, with his uh, lime green suit and orange socks, that, that uh, rock and roll music, their young people would come out. He had no clue uh, what all was involved, uh, but hired the boys club uh, uh, downtown uh, in downtown Prescott. We uh, mimeographed, ran off a few hand-drawn uh, uh, flyers, and, and at the very first concert, 
outside the four walls and 250 young people came out and over 50 people got saved. Kathy Garfield got saved that night. She's still saved today. Thank God. And this is what God, listen, he leads people who keeps their heart right. Is we stumbled into that. That was better than giving away chocolate bars to kitties. Sinners came in and we began to uh, to minister. In fact, this is what we exist for, is for the laws. Our church is built around being a witness. That is what this scripture says. I will make you a witness. And we aim for decisions. One thing I can guarantee in our church, I don't care what the service is. We had a funeral on Saturday and you knew there would be an altar call. The gospel would be declared. We have weddings and the gospel is declared. I don't care what it is. We have altar calls around here. Because that is what we are about. We take the gospel outside the four walls. Our motto is find a crowd or create a crowd so that we can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1970, we began having concert ministry. And we started after that initial success in the boys club. Ultimately, we rented a building on Granite Street, and we began a concert ministry, and we've not stopped doing that for 43 years. You heard the report on Sunday morning on our concert ministry that now is on Gurley Street downtown. Oh, it's got a few more bells and whistles, a few more lights, and now it's got video and a little fancier. But listen, on you heard on the weekend, eight people were saved, and four of those were in church the next morning. Because that is our purpose. We're sending Ian and Priscilla. We're sending Paul and Amy. And we expect that in Fountain, Colorado and Marion, Illinois, you are there to evangelize. You are there to find sinners and declare the gospel because that is our vision. Second part of the vision is making disciples. Making disciples is our purpose. From the beginning of our church, Pastor Mitchell had young men. He ran the outreach ministry. When we had the concert, he refused. He would not do the altar call. He would not, you know, he kept out the, you know, the crazies and all the, uh, the, uh, the, all the kinds of different things. But he insisted that young men, you will run the outreach ministry. And and part of that was that they could relate. But part of that is that is the only way that you develop is you have to hands on. You have to wrestle through problems and develop. This is what happens. And so he began to see that the same desires that he had as he preached under anointing, he had young men. Desire was birthed in their heart, just like him. I want to do something for God. And initially, the same advice, all he knew was go to Bible school. We had two young men go to Bible school and it almost completely ruined them. They came back ruined. They had lost the fire and now they believe some strange things by going to Bible school. And he began to see that is not going to work. 
We cannot have good young men that are on fire and then send them with funky professors who's going to kill everything good in them. That's not going to work. And he began to see that the Bible method is discipleship. That is hands-on instruction in relationship to a man of God, imitation of a godly example, emphasis on the heart and character more than book learning, and thirdly, involvement in real ministry. These two young men, as they were, were testifying, uh, I'm thinking back when they first began to express uh, a desire in ministry in both of these couples. Uh, I have spoken uh, to them and they were wrestling, working with new converts and the frustration. Pastor, these people got saved, but they're doing stupid things and they're not making good decisions. What do you do? That is ministry. Learning how to pray people through and learn how to not strangle some people. That's a very good lesson. You would not learn that if I just gave them a test on on people skills. But there is something. Making disciples is our... Listen, what we're doing. This is the fourth couple that we've had actually in the last six months that we're sending out tonight. Because that is who we are. Disciples raising up young couples to send out in the ministry. The third part that we look at of the vision is that the local church is the key. The local church is something powerful. See, most Christians, they don't believe that. They don't believe the local church is enough. You have to go outside the church. Send them away to Bible school. Get a, get a parachurch organization to come help you whether that's to raise money or, or whatever it might be. They don't believe the local church is enough to carry out the will of God. But Pastor Mitchell began to get the revelation, God's plan is the local church. That is his whole purpose. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church. The church is his body, the fullness That means completeness of him who fills everything in every way. That means everything that God wants to do in the earth comes through the church. That is God's plan and that is the power. And so what that means, folks, is that what God wants to do, this is not about two young men or even two couples or two families that somehow that They have arrived in their calling, but rather this is something that God chooses for a church. In Acts chapter 13, listen to this, verse 1 through 3. Now in the church at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And then having fasted and prayed and having... Uh, hands laid on them, they sent them away. Right there is the Bible pattern. It was in the church that God got a hold of young men and revealed His will. And God said, you, the church, send them to do the, what I've called them to do. That is God's purpose, is the local church. Pastor Mitchell saw as we began to do outreaches for other churches that we're going to have to have men in these cities. If we're going to outreach in other cities, we better have somebody there who has our spirit and believes like us or else we're wasting our time. No point in us evangelizing, getting a bunch of people saved, 
and then turning them over to some cold, dead, funky church so they become cold, dead, and funky. Or else they're not going to love them at all. He said, that's not going to work. And so in 1973, here was the great experiment, never been done by us before, is we had a worker who had not gone to Bible school, but we found a city close by the metropolis of Wickenburg, Arizona, and we sent a couple like all the way down the hill. And we sent them to give them that vision that you're going to evangelize it and you're going to replicate what you've seen here. And in six months, that church was self-supporting. That it worked. That what we had done in Prescott, it actually worked in another city. That later on, in, in short order, just not long later, we sent the second couple, Harold and Mona Warner, we sent to, to Tucson, Arizona, and that church began to take off. It worked just like it did in Prescott. 1975, we sent the first worker to a foreign nation all the way across the fence into Nogales, Mexico. 1977, in Holland, a couple that Pastor Mitchell had met, we released them and they began to put in place in Holland. And in 1978, in Australia, for the first time, we had in a conference, we had a couple stand up and we raised money. We said, we're going to send them on the other side of the world to Perth, West Australia. You know that in time... Pastor Mitchell, that desire to become a missionary that God had put on his heart was fulfilled. He did go to Australia on three different occasions to fulfill that. It was in Australia where I went. God got a hold of me. It was in Perth, West Australia, where I was discipled and trained in much of what I know about ministry. I learned in a local church in Perth, West Australia, and I even use that here to this day. It is a local church that will provide the finances and the opportunities for evangelism uh, uh, to, uh, to learn, uh, the training of workers, the sending of workers. Our vision is the local church. Let's look at one final thing. Let's talk about obeying the vision. See, this scripture that... Paul, he reflects back on the vision. He says, vision requires response. It's all well and good for us to say, the Lord spoke to me, or God showed me, or I saw this, or I see that. But you have to choose to obey. Verse 19, he says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Disciples have to obey their own heavenly vision. God will speak individually. Ian was saying uh, uh, about here, he wasn't expecting. What that meant is, is he told me, I actually wrote it out. I got a fountain, Colorado. He gave me demographics. And, and I agreed. I said, that's tremendous. I called him in and said, okay, and let's do it. He said, I was thinking like five years from now. <laughs> has a vision that's tied to the larger vision. So what has to happen when God begins to put his finger on his life? Every disciple has to decide, does God have the right to make a choice about your life? He said, I wasn't expecting to preach, but does God have a right 
to make a choice for your life. Colossians 1.1, Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Second question for disciples is, does God have something larger for your life? Matthew 4.19, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. As I said, while I was listening to these young men, I, I remember... I'm looking at how skinny Ian is. I remember being a skinny little 12-year-old. No, I was not quite. I looked like it. But I remember standing and, and, and this thought here, God had a specific city. Think about that. When I was young, God knew that I was going to go and pioneer in a place called Launceston, Tasmania, on the island of Tasmania in Australia. God knew this. God knew that Paul and Amy were going to go to Marion, Illinois. He knew that. He knew that Ian and Priscilla were going to go to Fountain, Colorado, right next to Fort Carson. He was speaking. Specific cities. Listen, disciple, does God have a specific city for you? Because that was what captured me. As I, I had no intention of preaching the gospel, but I began to hear people talking about cities. And, and I, I want to see a church there. And something began to be birthed on the inside. I'm watching Pastor Mitchell put pins or marks on a map. And I'm thinking, does he have a city for me? A specific church. Maybe Paul and Amy are going to a specific church to take over. Specific people. You saw Daryl Elliott preach this morning that he is the product of one of our granddaughter churches. We planted that first couple in 1978 in Perth, West Australia. 19, uh, uh, late 1980, they sent a worker into Geraldton, West Australia. And, and here... This is not just names and numbers and pins on a map. Daryl Elliott and Jillian were saved in one of our granddaughter churches. And here, 27 years later, he's preaching in this church because of a heavenly vision. Listen to me. God has specific people for disciples to reach. But if that's true, Paul says, I was not disobedient. You have to aim your entire life at calling. This will take your time. This will dominate your finances, your lifestyle, your job choices, career choices. Mark 1, verse 20, he called them and immediately they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and he, they went with Jesus. But the other part of this is that churches have to be obedient to the heavenly vision. Oh, I pray that God would put this in your spirit. This is not just, yeah, it's the disciple thing. that They come, they do their bid, yeah, and they, they get to go. No, no, no. This is what we do as a church. That churches have to be obedient to the heavenly vision. Listen, does God have the right to choose things for your life? You might not be called to preach. But the pattern that I told you in the beginning, God makes choices. Does he have the right to ask you to be part of something larger than yourself? In Antioch, I read in Acts chapter 13, there was an atmosphere created in that church where young men could hear the call of God. They could, they, they could, God could make choices in a church. 
And the church could send them, listen, we have a part in this. Listen, I, I was thinking about that. This is the fourth couple this year that we've sent just from our church. That's not the international churches, all the others. And, and uh, you know, I think we're now supporting 30 missionaries right now. I'm not even talking about any of that. Four young couples from our church just this year alone. An atmosphere that allows workers to be developed. That we let them. There are some of you here, I thank God for you. You get what we're doing. Some of you, you've been involved in concert ministry for many, many years. And you know, and we get these young kids and we let them be in charge and run things. But you get what this is about. This is not about whether or not they're going to be perfect. You get we are doing something bigger than running a concert on one night is we are training workers that are going to reach the world. And we have a part in that. An atmosphere. We're going to provide the finances. We handed Paul and Amy a check. I think if I remember uh, right, uh, that Sister Allen gave them a check two days ago for $9,249. And that is just to get them there and to support them for one month. This is not cheap. You're looking for a cheap church. The potter's house is not for you. This is not a cheap church. And we make a commitment. It's going to take big money to plant. When the Kleins get there, we're going to rent building. That's not even talking about the equipment that we give and all. What we do is incredibly expensive. And God needs people who say, listen, my finances are available to God and His purposes. And most of all, that there be spiritual support. It's not merely that we clap and say, hey, pat him on the back, good on you, bro, it's good to see you and have fun and go. Listen to me. They're, they're, these people, they're, they, they have no idea what they're getting themselves into. Don't tell them. <laughs> I'm ready. Riding in the car yesterday, and one of our workers that stood right there, and he looked so free. He called me, and I said, I said, you got scrambled egg brains again, don't you? <laughs> the demons of hell are assaulting his mind and is confident. And listen, what these couples need to know is that when they're there, they're going to take on the forces of hell, but they're not going to do that alone. That there are going to be people who are going to come to morning prayer. Are going to call out by name. Uh, uh, whether that's going to be alphabetical or not, I don't know. <laughs> but that we are going to stand because we are doing this together. This vision is not just Pastor Mitchell's vision. It's not just Paul's or Ian's vision. This is something that God has given us as a church. Listen, we are taking the world. Do you understand that? It's not just we're talking about it. We are doing this. We have a commitment to reach the world. And we have a reward that we can share in Philippians 4, verse 17. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that will abound or multiply to your account. I preached, I think, four years ago. An expanded version of this on the heavenly vision. When I preached that at the end of the sermon, I told you that we had, at that point in time, 430 churches in the U.S., 950 internationally. At that time, we had 1,380 churches in 97 nations of the earth. 
But right now, I'm declaring to you on July 17th, 2013, we now have 539 churches in the U.S., 1,498 internationally. We have 2,028 churches in 112 nations of the earth. Praise God. And we have that together. We have, did you see Gordon Porter? Tessa, Gordon Porter, come on, he's one of our own. He's a Prescott boy. He's from Baghdad, isn't he? Gordon Porter is in Kathmandu, Nepal. Can you believe that? He sends photos. I'm like, that's Gordon. Is there, is there a, a, a photo on the bulletin board of Gordon Porter in Nepal? Preaching the God. I'll never forget. I brought him in the office and told him, as we got an opportunity, you want to go to Nepal? I thought he was going to pass out. But listen, the vision works. The vision works. I've pastored in two different nations besides America. It works. It works. That's the heavenly vision, and we are connected to that. Praise God. That was another powerful message by one of our leaders in the fellowship. I just want to take this opportunity to quickly you know, give you an invitation to Christ. If this message impacted you in some way and you want to you know, give your life to Christ, you want to know how to do that, it's pretty simple. All you have to do is, is say a, a quick prayer, something simple and short, just like this. Dear Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to set me free from my sin. He came to earth to, to die for our sins, and he rose again so that we might be saved. I repent of my sin. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for your salvation, for the salvation you give us through grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. And I, I can't wait for you to come back next time. Thank you for listening to the PHSA Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Potter's House underscore Salmon Arm to keep up to date on what we are doing. Join the conversation and discover how Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life.